You're listening to the Australian Army Training and Doctrine Podcast. Amphibious operations. What are they? Why do they matter? And what do you need to know as a member of today's Australian Army? Those are the questions we'll be asking in this short series of three podcasts looking at amphibious capability in the Australian Defence Force. With me is Captain Sam McKenzie from 2nd Battalion, the Royal Australian Regiment, known as 2RAR, and we're here at Battalion Headquarters in Townsville. In this first podcast, we'll be defining amphibious capability and asking what soldiers and officers need to know to understand how it operates today. So first, what do we mean by amphibious operations? An amphibious operation is effectively a military operation where we seek to project force ashore from the sea with the aim of returning that force to the sea. That's characterised differently from sea lift, where we seek to just effectively move a military force by the sea and then put it ashore in a rather benign environment. An amphibious operation either may be opposed or may be uncertain. Effectively, what we're doing is we're projecting the force ashore and then sustaining it from the sea and then looking to return that force to the sea to then conduct further operations if we need to. So by definition, there's an interface here between Army and Navy. Yeah, absolutely. Amphibious operations are inherently joint. They can't be conducted on their own. They rely heavily uh, between the two services, between Army and Navy, and certainly from Air Force to provide air cover to that landing force and to the naval force. If we think back to the history of this kind of capability, where can we trace it back to? So Australia has a, uh, a quite a strong history of amphibious operations. Obviously, the very well-known Australian amphibious operation is the landings at Gallipoli in the First World War. In the Second World War, we conducted amphibious operations, uh, a famous battle being the Battle of Balakpapan, which is in Borneo. We landed a, an infantry division ashore there to fight the Japanese. And more recently than that, the Battle of Incheon in Korea and the landings there by the US Marine Corps sort of a hallmark of amphibious capability. And then obviously the Falkland Islands with the British is a classic amphibious operation in that it was such an isolated position to conduct operations that they had to be supported by the sea. They landed from the sea. All air power was from the sea. So amphibious operations have a long history and certainly in recent times they have developed an increased requirement as we move into the littoral environment and a maritime strategy is being adopted by the Australian Defence Force and by the Australian government in its entirety. Amphibious operations in the littoral zone have become more prominent and more important. And just to clarify for us, you use the term littoral environment. What do you mean by that? So the littoral environment is the environment that can be affected on land by the sea and then the naval or the sea environment that can be affected from the land. There's no set definition on how far apart those two are um, and certainly as capabilities develop and evolve, those two overlaps change and increase and obviously they reflect the airspace above those two areas. Now you gave us a sense of the history of this type of capability going right back to Gallipoli. So how has it evolved over time? Amphibious operations in their earliest piece were conducted because they were required due to the vast distances that we had to move and we had to use uh, naval assets to move our forces around and where we didn't have strategic airlift that we do today. They were heavily planned, quite centralised in their control and were a way of 
introducing a force ashore that had little protection other than naval gunfire and their own organic support that they could provide in a local environment. Today, they're still heavily planned, but we can decentralise their operation uh, to great effect due to the command and control systems that we have at our disposal today and the increasing joint capability that the Australian Defence Force is developing between Army, Navy and Air Force allows us to synchronise the effects of all of those elements to introduce a force ashore that is very well protected, is very difficult to detect from an adversary or by an adversary and is able to survive and be sustained from the sea with great success to ensure that we can allow a follow-on force to be introduced and to then conduct operations uh, with great uh, efficacy. What kind of assets, equipment and personnel then are we now dealing with when we talk about the amphibious space? So the Australian Amphibious Force has elements of all three services involved as well as from Special Operations Command and The Australian Amphibious Force is designed from a command element being based out of the uh, Amphibious Task Group headquarters and it's commanded by a unique uh, diarchy in command which is a Navy officer and an Army officer being the CADF, the Commander Amphibious Task Force, and the CLIF, the Commander of the Landing Force, uh, which are both 06 level officers. And they command a number of sub-subordinate elements, which are the landing force, which is usually based on the ready battalion or the ready combat team out of the army, a pre-landing force, which is the central role that the second battalion fulfills, and that is a reconnaissance-based force that also conducts point seizure and preparation to allow the landing force to be introduced ashore, which is primarily the security of helicopter landing zones, airfields and beach landing sites. And then a aviation support group, which is based from 16 Aviation Brigade as well as Air Force if uh, they're in theatre. And then a logistics support element, which comes again from the Ready Brigade usually, and they support the entire force. And then all of those elements are again supported by uh, the Navy in both logistics and physical protection and movement, and then the Air Force in the same sort of fashion. And in terms of people on the ground, in terms of the Army component, how many people are we talking about? Well, it's an inherently scalable force in the amphibious uh, space, which is one of the real great aspects to it. We can have a very small, discrete element go ashore, conduct discrete, unique operations, and then withdraw back to the naval environment and back to the sea to then move off and do disaggregated operations somewhere else. Or we can have a very large footprint up to a brigade moving ashore, which would require a significant number of assets, a large capability from Navy, as you can imagine. And those two or all the elements in between can be scaled and very adaptive to conduct whatever mission that government would give to us. And part of this is the LHDs, the landing helicopter docks. And we've obviously got two of those, HMAS Adelaide and HMAS Canberra. Just describe for us what they can and can't do and how they currently fit in. The Australian landing helicopter docks, Canberra class of ship, are a fantastic capability. Um, I've served on a number of international ships as well, and I can certainly confirm that ours are world class, some of the best in the world. The capability that they bring to the Australian Defence Force is significant in that they can hold up to a about a battalion of infantry or any soldiers that we require, about 1,000 per ship, which is a fantastic capability, as well as a number of aircraft and helicopters. They don't have a capability to land fixed wing, but we can launch fixed wing UAV from those ships. The key element that separates a landing helicopter dock from other 
naval ships is that it has what we call a well dock, which is a dock in the ship where the, the ship can sink down, take water on board, and then we can push smaller boats or landing craft from inside of the ship, outside of the ship, to then move forces ashore and support those. So those two ships are a fantastic capability. The things they can't do is they have limited ability to protect themselves. So we require other assets from the Navy to help protect them and same from the Air Force. Now, we've got a number of resources on the Cove website that expands on the information in this podcast and we'll give the web address at the end of this podcast. But notably, Picking up on what you just said there, when I was looking through the reading list on the Cove, there was one article that stood out. That was written by Jan Gleiman, who's a US Army strategist, who wrote a paper back in 2014, and the title was A Big Boat Doesn't Equal Amphibious Capability. And I think that's very interesting, given what you've just said. So what do you think he meant by that? Yeah, I would uh, 100% agree. A large boat doesn't give us an amphibious capability. It may give us a sea lift capability that I talked about earlier, And that sea lift capability is effectively a transport option. It's like saying a bus gives you a military movements capability. It it does not. An LHD or a large boat provides a capability to push or introduce a force ashore in a tactical and a unique environment and then to support that force ashore once it's there. It needs to be supported by a number of other elements as well. As I said, the LHD has limitations and it requires all elements from across the services and across Army uh, battle space operating systems to support it. Uh, The other thing that you need in an amphibious force is specialist amphibious knowledge. An amphibious force is not just a normal military operation. It's inherently very complex. It's very difficult. And the 2nd Battalion, as well as select elements from the Navy and the Air Force, have spent a number of years now conducting the amphibious trial to learn how to conduct amphibious operations from our own experience and from our allies and partners uh, so that we now have a really strong, dedicated understanding and a really well-trained force in specialist amphibious capabilities that can now conduct amphibious reconnaissance, landing ashore, and then support to those forces ashore. That is very difficult to do unless you have that amphibious knowledge and competence. So now that the Australian Defence Force has this amphibious capability within itself, it can build on purely the sea lift that's given to us from the LHDs to provide a truly amphibious capability. So what does this mean in practice? What can or can't we do, given where we are right now with our amphibious capability? So the Australian Defence Force has a really strong and very world-class amphibious capability. What we can do at the moment is we can conduct very low-level, discrete amphibious operations in support of the Joint Force. This means from a small company-sized organisation through to the full PLF being based on the full battalion of the 2nd Battalion, Royal Australian Regiment, to support the introduction of the Ready Battle Group or the Ready Brigade. Things we can't do at the moment is we don't have a mechanised amphibious force like some of our allies do. So we're not suggesting that we can conduct a fully opposed invasion of another country or something like that. We don't have that capability at the moment and it's certainly not what we're designed for. We're designed to conduct full range of operations from humanitarian assistance and disaster relief through to uh, high-intensity war fighting in support of the Joint Force. For soldiers who might be listening to this podcast then, what do they need to be doing in terms of their own professional development to be part of this capability? Well, firstly, I'd say that the amphibious force means that we have to be joint. There is no more opportunity for us to be 
single service or single um, zealots. Uh, we still need to be absolute professionals and understand what we do uh, in our particular roles inherently. However, we also now need to have a broader understanding of what the Army does and what the Air Force and Navy do. So I would encourage any soldiers that are listening to come up and if you're in Townsville, come over to the 2nd Battalion, have a chat and listen and learn as to what we can show you about operating with the Navy and the Air Force and in an amphibious space. And if you're not in Townsville, jump online, jump on the Cove, read up about Amphib and learn about the Navy and the Air Force. But essentially what we can do in the amphibious force is we'll help you to get ashore to do your job in your speciality beyond anything else. So be an expert in your job and learn about the joint force. That would be my advice. And for officers, what would your advice be to them? For officers, I'd recommend doing a very similar thing. I think you need to learn about the joint force and you need to have an understanding of your role primarily, but also of all of the other capabilities and roles that are available to assist you in doing your job. There is no place that that's required more than in the amphibious environment. And if you're going to work in the amphibious environment, either have a chat with us at the 2nd Battalion or attend any of the ADF Warfare Training Centre courses that are designed to help train you in operating in the joint environment or in the amphibious environment. Um, and those will be excellent in preparing you for service in the amphibious environment. Captain Sam McKenzie, thank you very much. So to find out more about amphibious capability, listen to the next two editions in this series of these podcasts and also check out the resources on The Cove. The website address is www.cove.org.au. That's www.cove.org.au. In our next podcast in this series, also available on The Cove, we'll be looking at how amphibious capability has been developed at 2RER and the lessons learned so far. I'm Captain Sharon Maskeldare. Thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by the Australian Army and is copyright the Commonwealth of Australia.